continue on with our um, series called The Nativity. What we're discussing over the last couple weeks has been a, a lot to do with what we're seeing, right? And, and how we uh, perceive what's going on in the world and, and how all that is taking place. In the first week of this series, what we did is we looked at the contrast that were present at the time of Jesus. That when, when he came and when he arrived, what God was doing wasn't like really evident in the world. There was like Jesus was a king, yet he was in a stable. Um, Jesus was coming and, and, and coming in the form of a, of, of a man, but yet he was, he was God, but yet he was a baby. I mean, this is just kind of, kind of weird for us sometimes to, to, to bring and to understand fully of what's going on. We talked about the fact that God was bringing peace, but yet the whole place was covered um, in, in, in a lack of peace and, and of a lot of questions, and God was answering all of his promises, but yet they felt like God was abandoning his promises. And so there was all of this great contrast at the time of his birth. And I think that a lot of those things are still present as we start to look at our own lives. Maybe you and I see a contrast, maybe between the life you thought you were going to be living at this stage in your life compared to the, the life that you are living. Maybe some things that you thought God should have done or has not. And so there are a lot of contrast in those kind of things. And a lot of that pushes us kind of in the direction of asking God to help us get on board with his plan and to stop this fighting with him, to stop this fighting. So I won't re-preach that message as much as I'm tempted to add to what I said a few weeks ago. But we also looked at the fact that sometimes it is hard to see Jesus at Christmas. It's just hard to see him. And, and there, there's so much stuff, right? There's so much grabbing our attention, so much to be looked at and, and so much to do and so much. It's almost like you're like, can we get through the holidays so we can get some rest? You ever needed a vacation from your vacation? Yeah. Every time we go on some sort of trip or something with Susan's side of the family, I need like a break afterwards because her sister... Her sisters and brother-in-laws go at such a pace. I just, man, bro, it's like you just going and seeing and doing. I'm like, you, your vacations tire me. But we get all this going, and sometimes it's like, man, Jesus, I, like, I need to see you. I want to see you, but it's hard to see you. It's hard sometimes, and I think that we need to give our permission to pray those kinds of prayers but yet this week, I want to kind of move in a direction that is a little bit opposite of where we've been going the last two weeks. And I hope that the Lord give you, gives you clarity and focus that if I can ask you to do anything over the next week and a half until Christmas Day, if I can have you do anything, it would be to sit with this passage of Scripture and maybe in your Bible's circle or underline all the descriptive phrases of Jesus and maybe to pick out one or two of those descriptive phrases and then to begin to pray about those descriptive phrases and to say to yourself Lord help that reality of you become very clear in my life Help me, Lord, to maybe take those descriptive phrases that we have in this text in John chapter 1, that you would take those descriptive phrases and say, Lord, am I worshiping you based upon that description? Am I acting in obedience to you? Am I making my life choices according to this description of you? 
Because one of the reasons why it is so difficult to see Jesus is there's all sorts of competing ideas about him, right? And in our Western culture, we are so individualized. Even today when we come to church, the majority of our thinking today, the majority of preparation for the service, the majority of your reasoning for being here or not being here today, majority of everything that has taken place is only part of the gospel and we ignore a very other, very large part of it. Much of what you're thinking today and as, as we get this going is very much about you and your personal relationship with Jesus. We use that phrase all the time, even in evangelism when we say, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Jesus. We are constantly emphasizing the individual. The individual. Because in the Western world, when I'm talking about America and Europe and so forth, the Western world is constantly thinking that your reality is based upon your personal perception. And truth is about what you make it to be. So when we get to Christmas, it's about this question is what, who is Jesus to you? Right? Who is Jesus to you? But what has happened then, even in a church this side with 30 or 40 people in the room this morning, we see this, that I bet you if I lined you all up or if I gave you all connect cards and I said, here, tell me who Jesus is to you, there's going to be a fair amount of agreement because we're all like church people, right? There's going to be a fair amount of agreement, um, but there's also going to be some, some disagreement and I would bet that there would be some things that are opposing uh, one another. And you would start asking about those questions because we look at Jesus and that's why I think it gets so confusing and why non-Christians look at Christians and when they say, you know, maybe I would believe in this Jesus of yours if you could give me a definition of who he is that doesn't conflict with the definition that, I, that maybe I grew up with or the definition that, that another Christian would tell me. And some people have told me that you Christians don't even know what you believe, so why should I even join you? And so what I want to do this Christmas is I want to take you to a passage of Scripture, and there are so many of these throughout the Bible, so many of these descriptions about Jesus, but I want to take you to one that is probably very, very familiar to you. I talk about it a lot, and so I chose to use it for this message because I hope that those of you that have been tending here regularly are already familiar with the text. And so turn with me, please, to the book of John, chapter 1, and we're going to look at this very... Um, familiar passage of scripture, but we're going to focus on this one idea, and that is this. The main point that I wish to give to you today is focus on the clear description of Jesus. Focus on the clear description of Jesus. Because let's admit for a second, a lot of what Jesus did, and a lot of what Jesus said, he did as God, right, and we're human, so I think we can admit that it's like some Jesus is hard. It's hard to understand exactly what you did, but we're going to leave those things alone this morning, and we're just going to focus on what is clear, because I believe in the life principle that once you get into a place in life where you're very confused or you have a lot of questions and you don't know what to do, when you are confused, rely upon what you do know. And you are constantly asking people a question. What, okay, I know there's all these questions, I know, but let's start with what we know and let's work out from there. So let's start with the clear this morning, the clear description of Jesus. And what I want you to do, if I can climb into your brain this morning and make you think <laughs> and make you focus, what I would do today is I would slow all that's going on in your brains today down. I would slow you all down. Because you all are brilliant people, multitaskers, a lot of things going on in life. But if I can get your brain and just kind of 
to focus on this passage this morning. I would do just that. Let's start with talking about his identity. His identity is clearly described in verses 1 through 9, and there are so many. There's this big list, this massive, deep, wonderful list. And we start like this as we read in the text. In the beginning was the Word. Okay, all right, in the beginning was the Word. Okay, that's fine. And the Word was with God, okay. And the Word was God. And He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, when you look at that, wouldn't it be better? Wouldn't it be better preaching, a better sermon, if we broke that down and did a sermon on each one of those? It probably would. And maybe will be. And be honest, has been. In other places, I've used that as just a whole series. But when we look at his identity as the Word of God, the Word of God, the logos of God is, is the Greek word, that which God utters. And you start thinking about that and you just say, Lord, what, your word, what, what do I learn about your word? What do I know about your word? Well, his word is what he creates with. His word is what he sustains with. His word is that which will last forever when everything else goes away. His word. So in this description of Jesus, we start out just this way. With he is that which God expresses himself. He has expressed himself as Jesus. Because we can do a lot of talk of why we would believe in a God or not believe in a God. But once we discussed and came to some sort of conclusion that there's some kind of being out there, <laughs> that there's something beyond us, we would have to then somehow bridge that gap between, okay, something's out there, and then the Christian God. Well, then how do we know about this God? How would we know if there was anything out there for sure and if there was something else out there or something else among us? How would we, like, know that? Well, we know that through Jesus because Jesus is the Word of God. He's the expression of God. He's that which comes to us that we may understand God. And it simply makes sense to me that God, if he wanted to communicate with a human, that he would communicate in a way that a human would understand. And don't you agree that it's sometimes easier to hear from someone that has a lot in common with you? Maybe a common experience, maybe a common education, maybe a common upbringing, maybe a common language. When there's some commonality, there's better discussion. And so that's what God is doing in this, in large part. And there's more to be said, but let's move on. He's also identified as being in the beginning. Now what we do is we go all the way to the end of recorded time and we say, okay, he was right there. Well, when you talk about in the beginning, you talk about that he was there in the beginning. In other words, he was there before God spoke time into existence. And therefore, he's always been. Oh. So in this very clear description of Jesus, 
He's the Word of God. He's how we get to know God. He's the proclamation of God. But He's also eternal. Okay. So He's always been. Okay. But then He's identified as God Himself. That Jesus is. And it's like, wait a minute. Well, that's a big jump. That's a big jump. between Okay, this, this, this person, and as the first century Greeks would read this, they would probably have less problem with this than, they would the, than the Jews would. The, G, the, the Greeks would go, oh, so he's one of the gods. He, he, okay, well, that's fine. And they had a lot of stories and a lot of myths about gods coming down and talking to humans. So for the Greeks, they would look at this and go, yeah, no problem. He's just one of many. That's why so many Greeks wanted to get Jesus' attention because they wanted to put him in their pantheon of gods and they wanted to just kind of understand him in that way. But the Jews would have a massive problem with this. The Jews would be all towards like, oh, this is blasphemy. This is one of the reasons Jesus went to the cross. This is one of the reasons why first century Jewish Christians were always hated because they equated Jesus with the one and only God. Do you see how different that is? A Greek approach to Scripture is fine. I'll accept Jesus as God. That's cool because he's one of many and of course God's communicate with men. So Greeks were just like, yeah, cool. Jesus, let's add him to the pile. Let's add him to the list. Oh, and you thought plural, plurality and pluralism, religious pluralism, you thought that was a new idea. Oh, no. You know, very, very old. Very, very old idea. But the idea of monotheism, that there actually is one God, that there's one non-contingent eternal being that spoke everything into existence, that there's that person, and he's expressed himself through Jesus Christ, and Jesus that walked the face of the earth is actually God. See, I want you to, as you think about this, and you think about Christmas, you think about the manger scene and you think about Christmas trees and lights and presents and gifts and, and fruitcake and um, praise the Lord for that and all of those things. When you think about all of these things, you think, wait a minute, this is like we're literally celebrating the arrival of God. The arrival of God actually came to us and God continues to come to you. And wherever you find yourself today, if you find yourself in the middle of a contrast, if you find yourself in this place where I just really can't see him, see, God's not somewhere waiting for you to show up. God's not waiting for you to come to him. In fact, he says you, you never will. You will never come to him, but so he comes to you always. He's always the initiator to where preachers, um, that I, as I came into ministry, I met some um, older preachers that preached in the 50s and 40s and 50s and, and they would continually call Jesus the hound of heaven because he's always on your trail. He's always sniffing you out. He's going to find you wherever he goes. You can ignore him. You can, you can ignore your Bible. You can never show up to a church. You can never go to any Christian activity. You, could, you can run as far as you want from God, but God is going to come to you. He's going to come to you. So in the midst of all of these contrasts, in the midst of all of these places where it's difficult for you to see, guess what? God's not relying on you to find him. The phrase that we use in the church today, I found Jesus, is actually kind of weird. Because you don't find him at all. He reveals himself to you in, in ways that begin to draw your heart to him. Because he is the expression of God. And for all of you that are following Jesus today, it's not because you figured it out. It's not because all your intellectual questions were answered. It's not because all your prayers were answered with a yes. It's not because God did everything you asked him to and just became your cosmic bellboy. He didn't do that. But he revealed himself maybe in some places of pain. 
maybe in some places of contrast and frustration, when it was harder for you to see your own way, it was hard for you to see your next way forward. But thanks God that he came to you. So he's identified as the word of God. He's identified as an eternal being. He's identified as God himself. And then he is also identified as the power of creation. He's the power of creation. Now those of us that have lost loved ones, I don't mean to, it is a tough situation, right? And if you've lost loved ones during the holiday season, I get it. My dad died, um, as you know, on December 8th, two years ago. So I get Christmas being like this challenge I understand that, um, but for those of you that have been to a funeral, and um, you've seen an open casket funeral, and you've seen your loved one there, you know what a lifeless body looks like, and you know what an alive body looks like. You know the difference. Even if you've been by their hospital bed when they were still alive and on their last few days of their journey, They still looked alive, though they looked ill. But when they passed away and you looked into that coffin to say your final goodbyes, because somehow we need clothes that helps us with closure at times, you knew there was absolutely no life in that casket. You knew that that didn't even look like your loved one. Why? Because their life was gone. Whoa. And you and I look and think of that it hit me more when at my mother's funeral with that, because we did a, a viewing before that. We didn't do that with my father. We did it with my mother. And I thought, surely my mom is not there. And I was like, she is with the Lord, not there. And you could just so tell. And when I think about that, I think about what I saw in my mom and what we see in each other is life. That's what we see. When we look at each other, we're alive, and we, see, and we can tell. And what we see in each other is that life power, and that's Jesus, isn't it? Every time you and I look at each other and we're, we see that life, we're seeing Christ. The reason why you can still breathe <laughs> is because Jesus, the power that has created everything, the, what we call the first cause, because, and only to get technical with you, but everything in creation, every single thing is contingent upon its predecessors. And that power to get that started, that initial cause, that's the power that Jesus has. But see, because everything is contingent upon its previous thing, you and I tend to think that our lives can't be fixed if the past is broken. Because if everything current is, dep- is contingent upon its predecessor, so if you have a problem, if all that you have is a mess, you're like, well, I'm just going to continue to have messes. And if I'm broken, I'm just going to continue to be broken. And if this person always makes these kinds of decisions, then for the rest of their lives, they're going to make these kinds of decisions because they're just going to keep being that. Oh, I'm sorry, it's just who you are. I'm sorry, I've always been like this. I'm sorry, I was raised like this. I'm sorry, I had a tough time, and now this is all I can accomplish. Sorry, I drank too much, so I'm just going to be this way. Sorry, I shot things into my veins, so I'm just going to be this way because I'm I'm contingent upon my past. And Jesus says, that's nonsense. I'm the life-giving power. I, I create newness. I give birth to life. So your future is not contingent upon the broken past when you turn that over to Christ because he's the life power. It's very amazing when you start to look at just a clear example that we're given of Jesus. He's also the possessor of light that illuminates humanity. 
This is also part of what I've been saying to you. Why at some times in your life do you have understanding? Why is there something called a mind and a brain, not just a brain? Do you think that you're just a brain? You think you're just biochemistry? In that case, the person that loves you really doesn't. The neurons in their brain just fired in such a way to make them feel a euphoric sense when you're around. They really don't love you. They haven't chosen to love you. Just their brain chemistry went wild when you went there. And so it's all about biochemistry and boom, there you go. But if you are a person that has a mind and a brain, that mind is that illumination of who you are, isn't it? You have a mind. You can think. You can make choices. There are things that come to you that you finally figure it out. And it's like, oh, look at the light shines. Oh, look it. They get it. And I had a senior in high school tell me the other day, I was, I was so impressed, because usually they don't get this. I, I was amazingly impressed. They, they were coming to me for some advice, and, and, and they, they didn't let me get to the advice I was going to give them right away, but they asked the question, and then they said, but Mr. Hobbs, hold up. Before you give me advice, so I know that the way I think is going to change in just a few months. They said, I know that once I graduate high school and go off to college and I see the world a little differently. I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grow up a little bit more once I graduate, and I know that. And, and I know that over the next couple years, as I you know, get to 18, 19, 20, 21, I'm going to start to view the world differently. So, Mr. Hobbs, give me some advice based upon how I'm going to see the world in just a few short months. And I'm thinking, you already get it. <laughs> and I've never had a teenager ask me a question like that. They're always in the moment right now. How do I fix this? How do I get my parents to say yes to me? Why are my parents so unfair? Why are you unfair, Mr. Hobbs, and you're grading? Why, 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 why? They want to know now and they want it here. But this kid was like, Mr. Hobbs, I need some advice, but I know I'm going to change my thinking, so help me out. Isn't that amazing? That he illuminates humanity. And then we have this section where we talk about a man for a moment, and then we get back to talking about Jesus. And you have to ask yourself a question. Why why do we get this? In the middle of this description of Jesus, do we get the description of a man? Let's look at that. When we look at verse five through six, I mean, excuse me, five through nine. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then he says, there was a man sent from God. Oh, Notice that he does not say this about Jesus. He does not describe Jesus as a man sent from God. See, but that's the way the world views Jesus in so many places, right? Jesus is a man that was sent from God. He was a prophet sent from God, a teacher, a rabbi sent from God. No, he wasn't. No, there was God coming as a man, and then there was a man sent from God. Very different very different. Whose name was John? He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. So we push this pause on this very clear description of Jesus and we get this description of a man. And here we have this another contrast. A contrast between the the God-man, Jesus, 
and the man-man, John. And you and I are like John. We are people sent by God into other people's lives so that through us they may believe in the true light. So you have Jesus coming and God saying, here I am. And then you have people witnessing this and saying, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there he is. But how are we going to be witnesses unless we understand this very clear description of Jesus? So his identity is wrapped up in this description, and he is truly God. He is truly the expression of God. He is eternal. He's the power of all of creation, and he's that which illumines you to understand and have life. You see, that, that's, that's something that we can get a hold of. That, that doesn't depend on what you think Jesus is or what I think Jesus is. This is how he's being described based upon his own proclamation of himself. This is who the Father says Jesus is. So we are not left. We are not left with the, with the option to have an opinion about his identity. We either accept his identity and say, well, this is what he has said about himself, and accept that, or I don't accept anything about him. I just leave him be. And I think that that's just doing him the service that you and I would do. You see, I don't want to be who you think I am. Because some of you might only know me based upon my worst day. And you might just think that that's who I am all the time. And others of you may just know me from my, my best day. And that's just not the case. Because <laughs> I'm not my best day. And I'm not my worst day. And I'm also not who you want me to be. Now you start talking in marriages about that issue and relationships. You see, you are who you are and you want your spouse and children and everybody around you to love you for you. Your identity is not up for grabs. I don't get to define you. Only your creator gets to do that. You don't even get to do that. You didn't have a choice if you were born or not. You didn't have a choice of what gifts and abilities and talents God was going to pour into you. You didn't have a choice. Because if I had my way, I'd be a little bit taller, a little bit faster, a little bit stronger. I wouldn't be where I am now. And a lot of you say, no, where you are now is based upon your choice. I know, I'm, st- I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I have a dad bod, and it's going to get like more like grandpa bod, maybe. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm still growing. Praise God. But you have this contrast. So what if we move forward from this? <laughs> and we think about those who believe. So those who believe this clear identity become children of God. Notice this very narrow way to go. There's this narrow path. God says, if you believe this, you become part of children of God. And boy, you, you want to start a fight in today's world. You start telling people that in order to have something or be something, you need to believe something. That starts a big old fight in today's culture, doesn't it? But look at verse 10. It says, he was in the world, speaking of Jesus, he was in the world and the world didn't know him. He came to his own, 
and his own people did not receive him. But, verse 12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, now what is his name? It's all those things that were described in verses one through four. That's his name, okay? They all those that believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So, oh, (laughs) whoa, wait a minute. So those, he was here, people didn't know it. They didn't recognize him. And other people saw him and then rejected him. And then there were some who believed. And to those who believed, God gave the right to become his children because it was his will for them to be so. People didn't decide that. People didn't acknowledge that. And so when you look at this understanding of of the way that he's talked about, that he was just simply unknown, yet he was here. Boy, that speaks very loudly to those of us that say, well, religion is what you make it to be. God is who you decide he is. Truth is based upon your own perception. Well, humans are good at not seeing what really is. I mean, we're wonderful at that. We're great at missing truth. And though he wasn't known, he was still there. That points to the reality that Jesus is objectively true in who he is. He's he's not subjective at all. He's not contingent upon our belief in him. But he was here but yet unknown. So I'm wondering how many places is God working and showing up in your life and you're not seeing it? How many places is God at work around me, but I don't don't know, I don't know it? And then the other option, how many times has God been operating in our lives and we know it and we reject it? (laughs) Say no, no, God, no, not that. Nope, not that, anything but that. And we get selective with his word and we pull some things out and we say, okay, I agree with that. I like that one. Turn the page, read, no. Not that, turn the page, yes. Turn it, no. And that's how some of us read our Bibles is with this reject what I don't like, receive what I like. And that's when we come up with that horrible phrase that I talk about often, to me the Bible means, which is an irrelevant statement. It does not matter. It's what it means. And then it was those who believed. So where are you today? Do you just not know? It's okay. Start knowing. (laughs) Start learning. Go on a path of discovery. Go do some research. But do you know, but you're rejecting? Do you know better? See, I I would bet that each one of us has stuff in our life where we know better than that. I mean, every time you want to think bad about yourself, you know better than that. You know you're not your worst day. (laughs) You're not your biggest mistake. You're, You're way better than that. You see. So if this idea of believing in this identity of Jesus gives us the right to become his children, Then there's verse 14. Verse 14 helps us understand that his glory is displayed through his identity. Notice this, and the the word, excuse me, became flesh and dwelt among us. 
And we have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So He showed up, and what did He show us? The glory of grace and the glory of truth. And now you understand, because I've taught you this several times, because glory is one of my favorite words. Glory means splendor and magnificence, of course. It does mean that. But its root word also means you think rightly about those things. You're, you're not overwhelmed and all googly-eyed and, and oh, you, no, you're, you're, it's very centered kind of idea. You understand the beauty of it and the grandeur of it, but it helps shape the way that you think. You see? That's the glory of God. Right thinking is part of the core word there that you talk about glory in the New Testament that you know how to think and oh my goodness that Christians would grow in their ability to think please I'm begging the church (laughs) because we feel so much that we ignore our thinking and really we let our feelings control our thinking when really it should be the other way around when Romans 12 2 tells us that we renew by our thinking and let your feelings follow your thinking instead of the other way around. And so when we look at this, he became flesh and lived among us, and he dwelt among us and displayed these things, and then we talk about grace. So if he's given us grace and truth, and we see the splendor and the magnificence of that, we see the splendor and magnificence of actually knowing and living in truth, And then we see the glory and the significance and the brilliance of his grace, which is grace is not permission to sin. Grace is an empowerment to be free from it. Meaning that I forgive you and I'm going to empower you to move out of it. That's grace. Mercy is its kind of partner word that every time I talk about grace, I talk about mercy. Because mercy is you deserve punishment, but I'm going to withhold that. I'm not going to punish you. I should. I'm not going to. I can. I'm not going to. But grace is you don't deserve for me to do this good thing for you, but I'm going to do it. You don't, you don't deserve this gift, but here it comes. You haven't earned this, but I'm pouring it out in you. And I'm going to empower you. And I'm going to work in your behalf. And I'm going to do things for you. Even though you don't deserve it, that I'm moving in that direction. as God's power displayed in your life and through your life, even when you're at your worst. So there's truth We're sinners. (laughs) We're broken. We've rebelled against God. Our nature is continually to rebel. We are broken. And we live in a broken world. That's the truth. But then there's grace. And God says, listen, though you're broken, here I come. You see Christmas? Though this world is broken, it doesn't deserve me to be present. But here I come in the form of a baby. Here I come in the form of a man. Here I come to live everything that you've lived. I'm coming and I'm gonna pour my life in you. I'm gonna illuminate you and I'm gonna give you life and I'm gonna give you power. I'm gonna move you beyond your worst days. So when Jesus shows up, his clear identity is the display of truth and grace, which I think that I, (laughs) for one, can use a heavy dose of both these days. How about you? I think you and I are very much the same in that, aren't we? So what do we do in conclusion? Let's make two thoughts and quick quit. The first one, a prayer for you as I prepared this message this, this week, is that may you hold fast to our confession, our confession. Notice I said that. Not yours, ours. 
the confession that we read every week, the confession that we've read this morning, what we confess about Jesus, that we agree that he is this. A verse that helps sum that, summarize that up is Hebrews chapter four, verse 14, which reads this way. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, that's, that word heaven means outer space kind of thing, okay? Passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. In other words, since he is mediating on our behalf, he's talking to us and God. He's our mediator. Because we have him, let's hold fast to this idea. Let's hold fast to our confession. And so many today have abandoned the notion of God. So many today that were raised in the church reject God by the time they exit college. Because there is such a push, there is such a big lie that you and I as Christian people let go of our faith. So may we hold fast, and I pray that you hold fast to your confession this year as we celebrate Christmas. And finally, may you experience him as he truly is. You see, that's my biggest prayer for you right now, is that you would experience the reality of Jesus as he truly is. Not necessarily what you've been told, but who he is. And that you would have more than you're experiencing right now. That you would not settle for a pastor teaching you about Jesus and that's all you learn. Well, what do you know? Well, I know what my pastor teaches me. Well, that, that's not gonna cut it. You, you need to sit with Jesus with your Bible open and you need to experience him in prayer through his word. You understand with Bible open, <laughs> we get that concept today. Not your own ideas running wild about what you think Jesus should be, but with your Bibles open and re actually reading them and reading them slow enough Maybe just reading the phrase, in the beginning was the word, and stopping and experiencing God in that way. And for some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about right now. You get it. You've experienced God through his word. You've experienced God during quiet times as you rest with him. And some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, wait, what? what? Don't, don't I just read, look for some facts, look for something to do, and then go try to do that? Don't I just read the Bible and go, well, yeah, I guess that's what I'm supposed to do, but, but I don't know, I can't, so praise God, Jesus died for me and I did my devotions today, yay, move on. Do you real, realize that one of the reasons why churches remain small like this, like ours, there's some good reasons, don't get me wrong, there's some good reasons, but there's some not so good reasons either. And do you know why the church in America closes way more churches every year than it does open them? Because we're not experiencing Jesus. We're experiencing church. And if, why, if only we experience church, then why bother with that? That's just not gonna help me very much but we need to experience God. Do you realize that's why we have communion every week here? Because everything we do, every song that Noelia sung to us and, and, and led us in worship, every song that she did today, every word that's come out of my mouth as I've stood here before the Bible is to get you to a moment when you get up out of your seat and you come to here and you reflect upon Jesus and you have at least a brief moment with him that I know that maybe throughout this whole week this may be the only moment that you actually pray and contemplate what you've heard because we're just not very good at that. 
And we're, we're, we're geared toward in the church to come in to hear some songs, to hear a sermon. And if it made us kind of happy, we think it's good. And then we leave and nothing changes in our life and we don't grow in Christ's likeness. We haven't experienced Jesus at all. We've just sung some songs and heard some guy preach at us. And it doesn't help unless we experience Jesus as he truly is. Unless this is a moment, and these worship services and small group Bible studies are moments when we gather together and experience Jesus. If we don't experience Jesus, then why bother? And if we don't experience Jesus, then who, anybody that we're trying to reach for Christ that are in our oikos, that we're praying for every day and that we're serving and we're bringing them to what? We have to bring them to an encounter with Jesus. That's what you see the apostles doing. Somebody would show up. Hey, I want to see Jesus. Let's go see him. And when you invite someone to church, why? Invite someone to, oh, because the music's good. Or the pastor talks about food and he's funny sometimes. And then sometimes he's just annoying. But if you just don't bring them to hear those of us that do what we do up here. Get them into the room so they experience Jesus because all of us are bringing Jesus in here because we're here to worship him. We're here to experience him. And we pray that people would come and sit and listen and experience Christ. I don't need people to experience me. I don't need that. No, Elia doesn't either. <laughs> but as she leads us in worship, she and I need you to encounter Christ. And when you encounter Christ, you come away better. You come away stronger. And so that's why I push you so much to be in the word. Why I push you so much to be in prayer. Why I'm constantly trying to be an example to you of go for a walk with Jesus. Go get, get quiet. And I even tell you when I'm stupid and mess up like I did last week. <laughs> And that's why I ask that in these next moments when we take communion that you're not talking, that you're not saying, hey, how was your week? I, I, do that later. You'll sit and have macaroni and cheese and ask somebody how their week was. But during this moment, for me as your pastor, I know, sadly, this might be your only moment to connect with Jesus. I pray that it's not. But I know the most of you, this is it. Make that change in your life. Make every day it. Every day experiencing Jesus. Learn what it's like to live in a continual presence of the Lord. I think your whole life will be radically changed. Because those of you, I need your help. Those of you that, like you're like, Pastor, I get it. I know. I, my life is a, your day, some of you in here, your day is a running prayer. You've actually locked into what this idea means to pray without ceasing. You're in constant dialogue with God 24-7. I need you to share with people who, who don't know that yet. I need you to teach them how that is. Because some of you have got it down. And you're amazing. Some of you have grown to such a place that where you're driving on the freeway, it's just God's always with you. It's just like he's there. And you're in constant dialogue with him. Share with people what that means. Amen? And I pray this, this Christmas you will encounter the true Christ as he has identified through his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today, Lord, that in this service that we have a moment, as brief as it might be, but we have a moment when we can get up out of our seats and we can come and we can receive these communion elements that represent your body and your blood, and that we can have a moment of prayer 
We can have music being poured into our hearts, into our minds. We can reflect, Lord, about what that means that you as God showed up, you came to us, and that through that coming we experience your grace, we experience truth, and that, Father, I believe that you are still communicating with people, that I believe you communicate through, through these elements. I believe that as people receive communion, it is a means of grace that you are working in their life, that you are pouring grace into their life, you are pouring power into their life. And I pray that this Christmas, Lord, as we come to this moment in this service, that no one would be talking to their person next to them, no one would need to get a hug at this time and say hello. We, this is just for us to gather and to think deeply about what we've heard today and about who you are. And for those, Lord, that have something going on in their life that's very, very difficult, I pray that as they get out of their seat and they come to this place to receive from you, the Father, they would take that issue in their life and view it through the lens of who you are and that, Father, I pray that you would illuminate their minds. Because there's some people, Lord, here that are hurting today. They have a lot of questions. They have a lot of things going on. And so, Father, I pray that your grace today would speak directly to where they are and where they find themselves. May they experience you today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you come to receive communion. May you... Think deeply upon the things that you've heard from God's word today.